Thank you for joining us today. At ResLife, our mission is to develop committed followers of Jesus Christ to reach the world. Our content is created to equip and empower you in God's purpose. We hope you enjoy this message. Well, we're in a series of messages, and we're going to continue that. Uh, the series is called Just Say No, and uh, we're going to say no to the devil today. So Titus chapter 2, verse 11 says, For the grace of God has appeared, and it offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodly worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now notice, grace teaches us to say no. Many people think, well, what grace is, is, is grace just means I can do whatever I want and say I'm sorry. But that isn't at all what grace is. Grace teaches us and enables us to say no. So two weeks ago, we talked about saying no to unforgiveness. But today, I want to talk to you about saying no to the devil. Now, it's in Ephesians chapter 4 where it says, give no place to the devil. And I know a lot of Christians that do just that. They give no place to the devil, and they live as if the devil did not exist. But there is one place you must give the devil, and that's a place in your theology. Because if you live as if the devil did not exist, I mean, I mean, there are Christians that they're like, well, all of the, the demons are someplace in the Amazon way out there, you know, in where, where there's unreached people. But the truth is, the Bible says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, goes about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. He is your adversary. And notice he's seeking whom he may devour. He can't devour just anybody. He devours ignorant people. He devours people who participate with them, with him. Uh, it, giving him license to come into their life. So be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil goes about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. That's verse 8. Verse 9, resist him steadfast in the faith. So where we have to give place in our theology is that the devil is our enemy, that he is after every good thing God wants in our life, and we need to resist him. John 10, 10. Uh, we can actually refer to this verse I have as the great divide. It says this, the thief, the devil, he does not come except to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Jesus said, but I've come that you may have life and that you may have it more abundantly. Everything that kills, steals, and destroys is of the devil. Before the devil showed up, there was no sickness, no disease, no war, no famine, no strife, no prejudice. You name the terrible thing, and it showed up after the devil showed up. And as soon as he's gone, it's all gone. I mean, no, it's pretty easy to find out where it comes from. All right. So what kills, steals, and destroys does not come from God. James said it like this. He said, do not be deceived. That's interesting. Wherever the Bible tells us not to be deceived, most of us are. Every, my beloved brother, every good gift and every perfect gift comes down 
from the Father of light, in whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. God does not have blue Mondays. God does not get depressed and he is not schizophrenic. He is the Lord and he changes not. And he said every good gift, every perfect gift comes down from him, from the Father of light. Right? So often people blame God, even insurance companies. Every bad thing that happens, it's an act of God. No, it's an act of the devil. It is not an act of God. Right? Luke 13, I put this in my notes yesterday. Jesus has just healed a woman who was bent over. And he said, ought not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has bound, think of it, for 18 years, be loose from this bond on the Sabbath day. Sickness is not from God. Jesus said, whom Satan has bound. Now, not every sickness is a demon, but all sickness ultimately has its root in the fall and in the devil. Before he was here, there was no sickness. Once he's gone, there will be no more. Luke 10, verse 39. Behold, I give you authority. Behold, look, Jesus is saying, I give you authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. Now, serpents and scorpions, it's not talking about snakes and little scorpions. Those are names for Satan and demons. And notice it says, and over all the power. And over all the power of the enemy. And nothing shall by any means harm or hurt you. So the King James says power. But the New King James says authority, which is a much better translation. Authority. In the Greek, it means the right to control or govern. Dominion. An area or sphere of jurisdiction. A ruler. Jesus is saying, I'm giving you authority over the enemy. Now, you may say, I don't feel like it. Well, there's nothing to do with how you feel. You, you, you know, if I give you the keys to my car, you may not feel like you can get in, but I'm telling you, the key will do it. It doesn't matter how you feel. It doesn't matter if you're young, old, educated, illiterate, red, yellow, black, white, purple, or polka dotted. The key will get you in. It will. Now, Jesus is telling us, I've given you the keys to the kingdom. Right? And he's telling us, I've given you authority over the enemy. So it's not a matter of how you feel. Ephesians 6.10 says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. It's not our might, it's his might. Right? He says he's given us authority. I think we've probably all seen something similar to this. A place loses electricity and you come to an intersection and there's a police officer in the intersection. And that police officer simply lifts his hand like this. And an 18-wheeler going 65 miles an hour hits the brakes and squeals just to a stop. How many of you know the policeman does not have the physical ability to stop the 18-wheeler? But he has the authority. You may not feel like you've got the strength, the power, because you really don't. It's not your authority. It's his authority. It's his might that he gives to you and to me. Be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. His might. Use that authority that we have been given. Right? 1 John 5, verse 19. Um, uh, 
If I were to have a soapbox, this would be it. I hear people say this all the time. Well, God's in control. God's in control. God's in control. God's in control. I want to ask you where that is in the Bible. Listen to this. This is the Bible. How many of you know the Bible sometimes messes with your theology? Okay. We know for a fact that we are of God. And the whole world around us lies in the power of the evil one who opposing God and his precepts. We know for a fact we're of God, but the whole world lies under the power, influence, sway of the devil. So what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to fight against him. See, the Bible, the, the Bible says to fight the good fight of faith. So literally the Christian life, from the moment you become a Christian until you go to heaven, it's a fight from the womb to the tomb. It's a fight. In 1973 in Stockholm, Sweden, a convicted felon was let out of prison after serving just a portion of his sentence kind of like probation. He was given a chance and chance at life to prove he could re-enter society and contribute. Unfortunately, it didn't work. Soon after his release, he held up a bank and took four people hostage when the bank robbery went wrong. There were five, it was a five-day standoff with the Swedish authorities. They ultimately filled the bank with tear gas and flushed him out. When the robber was brought to trial, the four hostages were obviously the key witnesses. Surprisingly, following the trauma experience, the four hostages refused to say anything negative about the person who had held them hostage for almost a week. This led to what we now call the Stockholm Syndrome. You've probably heard of it. It's a name given to inexplicable psychological phenomena where a person develops affection for the person causing them affliction. Now, I read that yesterday and I thought, that's what some Christians do with the devil. They kind of like, devil, if you will just leave me alone, I'll leave you alone. Just don't bother me. Just let me go on with my life. Let me just tell you, the devil will not cooperate. It's going to be a one-sided agreement. In uh, the Old Testament, Isaiah the prophet actually dealt with some people who'd done this. He says, because you have said, We have made a covenant with death and with Sheol. We are in agreement. When the overflowing scourge passes through, it will not come to us. For we have made lies our refuge. And under falsehood, we've hidden ourselves. This is what God said about it. Your covenant with death will be annulled. And your agreement with Sheol will not stand. When the overflowing scourge passes through, then you will be trampled down by it. You cannot say, devil, I'll just leave you alone and you leave me alone. His, his goal is to kill, to steal, and to destroy every good thing in your life, every blessing that God wants to give you. The devil is opposed. Now, the Bible calls him, this is one of his names, the accuser of the brethren, the accuser of the brethren. And he will talk to you. He will tell you all sorts of things. But what you and I need to do is we need to address those. In fact, 1 John chapter 3, 
By this we know that we're of the truth. We shall assure our hearts before him. You need to assure your heart. In fact, it goes on. It says, if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our hearts and knows all things. You see, your heart, we're talking about your self-talk. Okay? How you talk to yourself. You're a loser. God's not going to bless you. God's not going to use you. God's not going to answer your prayers. You're never going to get out of debt. You're never going to get delivered. Nothing's ever going to change. All that self-talk. The Bible says we need to assure our hearts because our hearts can condemn us. God's not condemning us, but our hearts are condemning us. And the, the enemy, the accuser, is speaking to us. So the Bible says in Philemon 1.6, it says that the communication of your faith may become effectual that it may actually produce, that it will produce, that it will be supercharged by the acknowledging of every good thing that is in you in Christ Jesus. You see, we need to begin to speak what Jesus has purchased for us. The Bible tells us in Revelation 12, verse 11, and they, that's us, overcome him, that's the devil, by the blood of the lamb, and by the word of our testimony. You see, we need to begin to speak what the blood of Jesus has purchased for us. Right? And we need to say those things again and again and again. You need to assure your heart. Now in Romans 10, it says, with the heart, one believes. With the heart, one believes. And with the mouth, confession is made unto. Where do you believe? In your heart. You see, if you don't have it in your heart first, you'll never see it anyplace else. The first place something happens in the spiritual realm is in your heart. You believe in your heart, right? So there is, we're talking about Philemon 1.6, talking about saying what God says about you. See, you say, yeah, I said it, but I don't believe it. That's all right. Because there is a confession unto faith. And then there's a the confession of faith. See, you say, but I don't believe that yet. Yeah, but you keep on saying it and keep on saying it and keep on saying it. Now, the saying it isn't going to change anything. But as you say it, it, you begin to absorb it. You say it and you begin to meditate on it. You say it and you begin to believe it. And once you begin to believe it, then you can make a confession of faith. But there is a confession unto faith. Right? So where do you believe it first in your you will never see anything manifested from God until you first believe it in your heart. Right? And then confession is made unto. But you believe it before you see it. And you believe it in your heart before you ever see it. Isaiah 54, 17. No weapon formed against you will prosper. And every tongue, a lot of weapons that come against you are words. Every tongue that rises up against you in judgment, you shall condemn. No weapon, no circumstances, no giants, no mountains that come against you are going to prosper. And every tongue that rises up against you in judgment, you shall condemn. See, you need to be saying what God says about the situation, not the appearances of the situation. Jesus said, whoever will say to this mountain, most people talk about their mountain and never talk to their mountain. 
They talk about how big it is, how long they've had it, how much it hurt, how much it cost, and how their parents had the same mountain. It's a generational mountain. They're just talking about, Jesus didn't tell you talk about your mountain. He said, you talk to, you talk to that mountain. He said, you need to rise up and you need to condemn every tongue that rises up against you. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. For their righteousness is of me, says the Lord. In Psalms 8, it says, what is man? It's talking about mankind, men and women, that you're mindful of them, the son of man, that you're concerned about them. Yet you've made him a little lower than God. Where did God make you? A little lower than, than God. Now, if you have an older translation, particularly the King James, it says angels. Right? Well, the translators, they got to this verse and it said a little lower than Elohim, than God. And they thought, oh my goodness, if we say that, what will people think? And so they just put angels instead of God. But the Hebrew says God. You crowned him with glory and majesty. You have made him, men and women, mankind, ruler over the works of your hands. And you've put everything under his feet. You've put everything under his feet. Again, Jesus said, look, I give you authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. But we've got to use that authority. Again, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, goes about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him. Resist him. Now, when we resist the devil, we resist wrong thoughts. The Bible tells us in Isaiah 55, it says, let the wicked man forsake his ways and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return to the Lord. You may have not known this, but you can be away from God just in your thoughts. Wrong thoughts. Now, when the devil comes with a wrong thought, we resist the thought. But when he comes with one of his works, the things that kill, steal, and destroy, we do the same thing. We resist those things. Remember, Jesus said, the thief does not come except to kill, to steal, and to destroy. But I've come that you may have life and have it abundantly. So what this verse is saying is that God is good and the devil is bad. God brings good, the devil brings bad. So we're going we're to say something together. I want you to repeat this with me. Good God, bad devil. Let's do it again. Good God. Bad devil. Let's try it like this. God is good. The devil is bad. God brings good. The devil brings bad. Now, if you can grab hold of that, you know more than 90% of theologians. Because you've got to go to school a long time to get messed up. But isn't it interesting how we blame so many things on God? The insurance company, it's an act of God. No, it's an act of the devil. It's not an act of God. So they, that's us, we overcome him, that's the devil, by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. So there is no such thing as a Christian who overcomes, has overcoming victory without the word of your testimony. 
Your testimony and my testimony needs to agree with what Jesus purchased for us. There's so many examples of this in the Old Covenant, but my favorite is Passover. The children of Israel have been in Egypt for 430 years. And God said, it's time you're coming out. So Moses said, every family on the 14th day of the month, you take a lamb into your house. You keep the lamb for four days. And at sunset, you take the lamb outside and you kill the lamb. Very specific way to kill the lamb. They had to cut the lamb's throat and catch the blood in a basin. Now, the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians that Christ, our Passover lamb, has been crucified for us. So that lamb in the Old Testament was showing us what Jesus was going to do. It was talking about redemption. Now, when Jesus died, he shed his blood. When the lamb died, the blood was shed. The lamb's part was done when the lamb died, but the people's part was not done. The people had to apply the blood, and they had to go and stand in front of the door of their house and take some hyssop, a very common, almost like goldenrod that we would have around here, and they had to stick it inside the blood and strike each side of the door, and then back in the blood and strike above the door. And God said, wherever I see that blood, I will not allow the destroying angel to come in and do any harm. The people had to apply the blood after the lamb had died. And the same is true today. Jesus, our Passover lamb, has been crucified for us. But we need to apply the blood. Now, They applied the blood with hyssop. We applied the blood with the hyssop of our tongue. The Bible says we overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. The psalmist said it like this. He said, let the redeemed of the Lord say so, right? In Psalms 91, David said this. He said, I will say of the Lord. I want to ask you a question. What are you saying about him? He said, I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge, my fortress, my God, and him will I trust. And surely he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the noisome pestilence. In in, uh, Romans chapter 10, in verse 8, asks the question, it says, what, but what does it, what does faith say? What does faith what? Say. When Jesus talked about faith, this is what he said. He said, whosoever will say. See, the very first thing faith ever moves is your mouth. And if it doesn't move your mouth, it'll never move a mountain. But what does faith say? It says the word is near you. It's in your heart and in your mouth, even the word of faith which we preach. Isaiah 57, verse 19. God said, I create the fruit of the lips. Peace, peace to him who is afar off and to him who is near, says the Lord. I will heal him. Isaiah 59, my words which I put in your mouth shall not depart out of your mouth nor the mouth of your descendants nor from the mouth of your descendants, descendants from this time forth and forevermore. The prophet Joel said, let the weak say, I am strong. Job says, 
You will also declare or decree a thing and it will be established for you. In Luke chapter four, we find Jesus has fasted for 40 days and the devil comes to tempt him. And in the third verse, it says, and the devil said to him, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become bread. And Jesus answered him saying, it is written. Then the devil takes him and shows him all the kingdoms of the world and says to him, all this authority I'll give you. And Jesus answered and said to him, and then the devil takes him again and said to him, and then Jesus answered and said to the devil. How many can recognize that something is happening? Now, there is a war that's going on, but it's not with guns or swords. It's a war with words, right? The devil said, and then Jesus said. The devil said, and then Jesus said. The Bible says in Hebrews 13, therefore, we can boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. I love what David said. He said, the Lord is the strength of my life. He's my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life, and I will not be afraid. When the wicked come against me to eat up my flesh, my enemies and foes, they stumbled and they fell. See, we got that accuser of the brethren. And this is what he says to you. He says, you're a loser. You're a sorry excuse for a Christian. And God's mad at you. And God has abandoned you. And God will not bless you. And God will not answer your prayers. And God will not use you. And you're getting exactly what you deserve. And you will never succeed. You'll never get healed. You'll never be normal. You'll never get out of debt. Nobody's ever going to love you. And your marriage is going to fall apart. And your kids are going to reject God. That's the accuser of the brethren. But we assure our hearts. Right? We begin to say what God says. And every tongue that rises up against us, we need to condemn it. We need to speak what the word of God says about us in our situation. Let me just close with a best-known story, probably the whole Bible. Many people know the story, don't even know it's in the Bible. It's in 1 Samuel chapter 17 when David kills Goliath. Now, David has been keeping the sheep, and he shows up on the battlefield. And there's this giant, Goliath, who's been coming out for 40 days. And every day he says the same thing. Send me a man to fight. And if he kills me, we'll be your slaves. But when I kill him, you'll be our slaves. And the Bible says that the men of Israel, they ran. And it says that Saul's knees knocked. He was the tallest one. He was the, he was the guy who should have been out there. But David heard and said, uh, what's going to be done for the man who kills that giant and takes the reproach away from Israel? And they said, well, first of all, the king will honor him. His family will not have to pay any taxes. And he gets to marry the king's daughter and she's a babe. <laughs> and he said, well, I'll do it. <laughs> He ends up before the king who tries to talk him out of it, right? The king says, hey, he's been a man of war since he was a child. And you have never, you're just a youth. You've never been in a battle. You can't go. And David talks him into it. He says, I, I was keeping the sheep and a lion came and a bear came and grabbed one of the lambs. And I went after him and I killed a lion and I killed a bear. And I'm going to go and kill that giant, the God who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear. That God, he'll deliver me. Long story short, the king says, go. He goes down to fight that giant. 
he grabs five stones from the brook. You know, when we go to Israel, we used to always stop at that brook. I had grabbed some stones. <laughs> then I found out they keep replenishing them because everybody's going by for thousands of years <laughs> picking them up. <laughs> they, they weren't any of the originals, I'm sure. <laughs> but he takes those five stones and he puts them in his bag and he goes down. He's got his shepherd's staff and Goliath sees him. And he, he says, uh, Hey! The Bible says he curses him by his God. And he says, do you think I'm a dog? Did you come down here with a stick? He says, I'm going to kill you. And David said, well, you come against me with a sword and a spear and a javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord of hosts, whose armies you have defiled. And today, today I will kill you and take your head from you and give your bodies and that of the Philistine army, to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field that all the world may know that there is a God in heaven. The devil, the devil, Goliath said, then David said, I think it's interesting. The Bible says he reaches in and he runs towards the battle line. I think it's interesting. The devil said, and then David said, this is what I believe the Lord spoke to my heart is never let the devil have the last word. Never let the devil have the last word. And then this morning, additionally, always move towards your giant with your mouth moving. Be saying something. And David took and he swirled. And you know the story. Poof. He hit that giant in the head. The giant fell over. He went over. He took his sword. He cut off his head. And the giant did not say anything else. <laughs> yeah. Always, always get the last word. When a... When a an enemy, a voice, a circumstance, a giant comes against us. I mean, we need to speak. We need to. The Bible says to fight the good fight of faith. I, I can, you know, somebody might say, well, you know, what about Ken? You know, I was up there last night and uh, Pastor Ken was fighting. Let me tell you something. When I die, I want to die fighting. I'm going to die fighting. I'm going to die believing. I'm going to die moving ahead. All right. You know, and, uh, and uh, I said it earlier. Uh, he's in heaven. And if we said, hey, come on back, we got a ticket for you. He'd say, forget it. Right? The Bible says that it is far, far better. It is far better. But your Christian life is going to be a fight. From the moment you become a Christian until that body wears out and you leave that body and to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So listen, if you lose, you win. If you lose, you win. Because if you lose, you're in his presence. Enjoy in a place that, as Paul said, is far, far better. All right, would you bow your heads for just a moment? The prophet wrote and said, the harvest is past. Summer is ended. And we are not saved. And we are not saved. You know, so many people think, you know, someday, someday I'm going to get right with God. Sometime when I get older, sometime when this happens, sometime after this, I'm going to get right with God. But let me tell you what happens. Years go by, decades go by, and we don't change. 
we're still there. The summer is past, the harvest is over, and we're not saved. But the Bible says today is the day of salvation. Don't put it off. Don't put it off one day. And if you're not right with God, today is your day. It's your day. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one can come to the Father except through me. That means that all of your efforts, all of my efforts to do the right things will never make us right with God. There's just one way. So Jesus said, he's that way. And he says, you must be born again. That means you need to give him all of your heart and all of your life. And if you haven't given it to him, you still have it. He's not a thief to steal it or a manipulator to trick us into giving it. But today is the day. And with, with Jesus, it's about your heart. So often we think, well, I know about God. I know about Jesus. Listen, everybody celebrated Christian, Christmas or Easter, and we know. But that's what you know in your head. Salvation is not about what you know. Salvation is about your heart. It's have you given Jesus all of your heart and all of your life? And again, he won't trick you. He's not a thief to steal your heart. And if you have not given it to him, you still have it. And right now, I want us to pray a prayer together. And if you will pray this prayer from your heart, when we say amen at the end of this prayer, you're going to be right with God. And you're going to be a part of this kingdom. You're going to be on your way to heaven. So when everybody pray this prayer out loud, make these words your own. Say, oh God, I believe Jesus died on the cross. I believe his blood paid for my sins, and I believe he rose again. I give him all of my heart and all of my life. I hold nothing back. Jesus is my king, and I'm going to live for him. I thank you. You've heard my prayer. My past is gone. I'm a part of your kingdom today and forever in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope what you heard today has been encouraging and given you new insight into the Word of God. We upload weekly, so join us again next time. Be blessed and enjoy your week.